You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Yes, we have a lot of home groups going on. It's a wonderful way to get connected, to be um, in community together, to be known and to be accountable, and highly encourage you in that. If you're newer with us, you're not quite ready for that level of a commitment yet. Uh, we have a Westside 101 meeting this afternoon to kind of give a little bit more information about who we are as a church, um, where our direction is going, and kind of answer a myriads of questions about um, that you might have. And so we invite you to come out and join that right after our second service at one o'clock in the lounge, if you're interested. Um, we are going to be continuing in our journey through Genesis. Now we're going to be going through Genesis 26 today. Over the last few weeks, we've kind of been looking at this overarching theme of whether or not we're going to be following after God wholeheartedly. Are we giving over our entire lives to him as we walk day by day? And how do we, how do we walk this out? And so as we return to Genesis, it's still going to be actually within this theme, but it hones down a little bit. We're not at the 25,000 foot level anymore. We're more about the 15,000 foot level today. We're looking at Isaac's life. Um, there's a lot in Genesis about the life of Abraham. There's a lot in Genesis about the life of Jacob, his grandson, and there's one chapter about Isaac. And that's the chapter we get to look at today. Um, and it's going to be intriguing because in Genesis 25, we left off with Abraham dying. We see the lineage of uh, uh, Isaac's brother Ishmael and what that legacy left. And we see the introduction of Jacob and Esau, Isaac's two twin sons, and kind of some very interesting inherent character flaws that are going to drive um, their story moving forward. And so... It leaves off, we know how Abraham interacted with God. We know how he walked. We know how he, the decisions he made. And so the, the question that should naturally arise is, well, how is Isaac going to walk? How's he going to do? If we know most of scripture, we know that a lot of people, that sometimes they start out well, sometimes they start out really bad. Um, a lot of times, even the best of folks, they end up dwindling towards the end. So what's this particular walk going to be like? What's the lesson we can learn from here? And then there should be a reflection upon that as well. As we read scripture, we should always be looking, how am I going to apply this? How do I learn from what these people already went through? Because that's the best way to learn a lesson, to not have to make the mistake yourself, not have to deal with the consequences of that, but to be able to look at others and the wisdom they're bringing and presenting before us and apply it to our lives. And how will each one of us walk with the legacy that we have? Because all of us come from a different background. We were born into different contexts. We had different privileges growing up. We had different situations we were in. Different families, different values, some from really challenging, some from really we would call just average normal life. And it's all leading up to this point and a legacy behind you. And that's each and every day. But you have to look behind and go, this is what I came from. Who will I be moving forward? For good or for bad? Who am I going to be today? Because each, that's all we have. Each and every one of us, we have today. And sometimes today won't be good. 
And sometimes today will be great. But God, in his infinite wisdom and understanding, expects that we will be consistent in each of those days. That we will be steady in each of those days, as he is in our lives. He is always present. He is always there. He is always faithful. He is always loving. He is always kind. He is always patient. He is always generous. He is always self-controlled. Imagine if God just lost self-control one day. <laughs> Said, you know, I'm having a bad day, folks. You're going to have to give me a little grace today. And what that would look like. This is, he wants us to reflect that characteristic of consistency, despite that life isn't always what we want it to be. We sometimes make choices that lead to poor consequences that we end up having to walk out. How will we walk that out? In grace, in humility, or in a huff? So let's look at how Isaac does these very things. Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land, beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now that word famine for us, a lot of times whenever we're reading anything, it's almost just like a plot device. It's just driving the story forward. Because I can almost guarantee no one in this room, I won't say 100%, has ever experienced a true famine in their life. We've experienced scarcity, not of food, but of toilet paper. <laughs> and we understand the frustration of that. But we have not ever actually experienced, at least in my lifetime, in the last 34 plus years, there not being enough food. Not that you just couldn't afford the food, but you had the money, but there was no food there. There was no food to get. I mean, it's a whole different concept between just not having enough resources and even if you have the resources, there's nothing for you. It's a very hopeless spot to be in. You go to the store and there's nothing on the shelf. You go out to the garden and nothing's coming off the plants. Just nothing. You're going to be hungry. There's no way around it. It's a whole different frame of mind to put ourselves in and all the people are experiencing this famine right now. Their reactions are going to be driven by the fact that this is going on right now. We, this is going to highlight our entire narrative today. That everybody is hungry. And there isn't enough food to go around. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land in which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It's essentially the same promise he gave to Abraham, and he's affirming it in Isaac. I will do all of these things for you, Isaac, because... Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. It's a really interesting moment to find yourself in, and some of you may have found yourself in that moment before, where you are only receiving this blessing because of somebody else. It has nothing to do with you whatsoever. We all should at one point have felt that way when you accepted Christ. It was nothing you did. It was only because of Christ. And that's a, that's a thematic element that we're being shown here. Isaac, you are receiving this because of your father. Because he walked with me. He was faithful to me. He wasn't perfect, but he had faith. 
then the natural question comes from there. What will you do? Are you going to be like your dad? And a lot of us, we don't want to be in that shadow. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to be my own woman. I'm going to set my own legacy. This is not that context where that needs, that's the good attitude. Are you going to follow after the Lord as well? This is what got you here, but what's going to propel you forward is now your choices. You can't rely on dad anymore. Abraham has passed away. It's now on you. That's a, he that's a heavy moment. We see this happen over and over again in Scripture, and it's usually with individuals where their choice right here, right now, is going to have a big impact on the way things go. We see it with Joshua. When you have Moses, he passes away. Moses, through the great and awesome works of the Lord, brings the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. He writes down their entire government system, establishes an entire nation, and he passes away. Joshua's been with him for 40 years as his assistant, seeing the guy who's speaking face-to-face -face with God Almighty, the guy who walks out of the tent and his face shines because of the presence of the Lord. And now you're supposed to fill those shoes. And the entire nation is now looking at you. Not that your family, your company, a nation. It's now it's on you. What will you do? What does God say to him? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Joshua's circumstance, behind him is quite literally the desert. You can remain in the desert, which is familiar, but it's a desert. Or you can move forward into the impossible, where everyone in this land is as giants and you are as grasshoppers. Everyone in this land is mightier than you, and without the Lord, you will not be successful one day. And they experience this. And this is what he's been called to. Be strong, be courageous. It's only the impossible that I'm going to be doing with you today. <laughs> what will you do, Joshua? We see this with Solomon. Solomon is the son of the most revered king in all of Israel that will ever be King David. Everyone will be compared to King David. Solomon will be the wisest, wealthiest king that ever lived but David will be the most revered. Everyone will always be compared to David, who is a man after God's own heart. And Solomon is only there because he's his son. It's a repeated thing through Scripture. Solomon, what will you do? If you do as your father did, man who was not perfect, but chased after me every day of his life, he will be blessed. And that that legacy is actually passed on to us. First Peter 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially, what did I do? There we go. That judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Every single one of us is in community, but you and I all stand before God alone. 
We will all stand before him alone. And he will ask, what did you do with what I gave you while you were here? Did you choose me? That's the the ultimate question. Did you choose Christ over everything else in your life? Whether big or small, up or down, left or right, did you choose Christ? That, That is the question. Is he Lord? You don't get to be in on, it's not a group package. I can't buy your ticket. Every single one of us stands alone before God. Will we walk in wisdom before the Lord that he provides that was hard to walk out? It's difficult. It's a slog. And God says, it's so difficult. I will be with you every step of the way. I will send my spirit to dwell within you, to empower you, to motivate you, to keep you going forward because it's going to be difficult to walk out the will of the Lord every single day, to live in his wisdom. But the alternative is to live in fear. It could be fear of failure. It could be fear of loss. It could be fear of people and judgment. It could be fear of death. It could be fear of pain. In some way, it's fear driving our motivations, and that is only overcome with the wisdom God provides. Yeah, it's a scary thing, but I've got a better way that's going to take you through that well. And that's what we're looking at today. So what will Isaac do? He's presented with this choice. Will you be faithful to me? Will you listen to me? Isaac settled in Gerar. Statement of faith. He listened to God. Another thing we're about to see that is very consistent with the scripture is that we have a statement of faith followed by a statement of not acting in faith. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca. We have this moment. Yes, Lord, I will listen to you. I like what you're saying here. I want to be blessed. I'll stay here. And the very next step, oh, yeah, I'm not sure how much I really buy into that because these guys are here right now and they're hungry and I got a lot of stuff. So I'm just going to lie. Immediately, God said, I will bless you. I will give you all things. I will multiply you. If he believed that, why would he have any reason to lie? Why would he have any reason to fear someone killing him? It's where the rubber meets the road. Because she was very attractive in appearance. When he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she's your wife. And how then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man and his wife shall surely be put to death. I read that, and I was a little confused. That he looked out a window, saw them laughing, and I thought, is, is nobody, nobody can crack a joke with anybody but their wife? And so this is why it's actually really important to compare texts, to have either an interlinear Bible, a nice text comparison program, or simply a lexicon to access. If you don't have any of those, a really robust free one is called Blue Letter Bible. It's online. 
it goes in, you can look at the text, and it'll break down, and it'll show you what the word means in the original language. And that's so very important, the realizing that the original language isn't English. And not all words have a one-to-one -one translation. Things written and developed thousands of years ago, they weren't just, all right, we're just going to do one-to-one -one all the way down here. That's not how language works at all. A lot of times, words will have multiple meanings. We have them in English. We call them homonyms, like the word L-E-A-D. That's either a weight or me guiding somebody. But which is it? We only know with context. This is the same thing. This word is mesaheket. Mesaheket is actually a play on Isaac's very name, Isaac. It's a difference of one letter, and it's purposeful. Hebrew writers love doing this. It's purposeful. Now, that word can mean laughing. And you're laughing with somebody, you're laughing at somebody. And so actually, we see the ESV constantly translated this way. The last time we saw this word was when Isaac's brother Ishmael was mesaheket, towards Isaac. But the word in this context is mocking. This is the reaction that caused Sarah, Isaac's mother, to want Ishmael banished. Well, you don't banish somebody for cracking a joke. You banish them because they're mocking and belittling your son who's going to be the inheritor. And even then, I felt it was an extreme response. But in this context, neither laughing nor mocking sin seems to line up. So what else could this word possibly mean? And we look at every other translation except for the ESV, which is just interesting because I really love the ESV, is it means caressing. It has a very intimate connotation to it. And so if you looked out a window and saw a man caressing a woman, that would give you a much larger leap to this is probably not his sister. <laughs> and probably his wife. Thus, why it's important to look at, does this word mean what I think it means? Now, the other half of this that we're looking at is the generational issues. This generational issue of Abraham's family of deceit. Abraham struggles with deceiving. Isaac struggles with deceiving. Jacob's name means heel grabber. It is an acronym for, not an acronym, the wrong word. It's a word that means, oh, mm, this is a really nice word. I wish I had it at this moment. <laughs> it's an anecdote for someone who lies, someone who deceives, someone who's a trickster. That's his name. And a, 10 out of the 12 of his sons will struggle with this as well, with deception and lies. It's a generational issue. It actually brought to light something that happened and something that God says about himself, his own character that I had not understood as much before. And so when I read Exodus 34, 6 through 7 again, when God is describing himself, it's revealed through this passage, the deeper meaning of what's going on here. The Lord passed before him, Moses. So we're just taking a quick aside for this piece. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. We get to this point in the passage and we're tracking, we're tracking, we're tracking. Yes, makes sense. I get it right on, Lord. And we get to visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You go, I've got a question. 
I didn't think you punished the innocent, Lord, because that's what that sounds like, but it's not what that means. It's visiting the same iniquity and the same sin that is being committed over and over and over again on the father, Abraham, the children, Isaac, and the children's children, Jacob, to the third and fourth generation, Jacob's sons. They all do the same exact thing. They refuse to learn the lesson and accept the truth that God is giving them in their lives. Because how else will this change other than accepting the truth that God has in your life? Because we are raised with a certain legacy. We are raised in that household that went to those coping mechanisms for whatever it might be. And it's going to be different for everybody. For them, it's lying. For others, it might be stealing. For others, it might be being angry and outbursts and it, any manner of things. Pick your thing in your household. What coping mechanisms do you have when life gets tight? And you've seen it again and again and again and again when you just look down your family line. They all do it. And you all learned it from the one that came before. How do you break the pattern? We break the pattern with the Lord. And oftentimes, we're trying to overcome this, we're trying to work through, and how do I do this? And someone says, well, you just got to press more into God. And you know it's true, but it feels frustratingly unhelpful as a statement. And so I want to present a tool that has been developed to help those that are actually struggling with different forms of addiction. That it's based on, it's an acronym, BRACE, B-R-A-C-E, and it's based on biblical principles. And the first letter is BREATHE. What does breathing do? Specific, deep, controlled breaths. They re-engage your fear part of your brain back into your logical part of your brain. It allows you to make a logical decision in a spot of fear, panic, that flight or fight mode. You start thinking clearly if you can just... You do that a few different times and it re-engages. It doesn't necessarily take all of your feelings away, but it re-engages logical thinking. The biblical principle this is based off of is a fool is hasty with his words. Don't say things quickly. Stop and think about them. R, remember. Remember what God has said about you. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession who get to share in his marvelous light. Remember what God has said. A, ask. Speak to God. Ask for help. Ask for strength. Ask for encouragement. Ask for the ability to get through another day of doing what he would want you to do. Making it through the difficult choice. Ask him. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not, when you ask and you don't get, it's because you ask wrongly. See, it's call or community. Press into those around you that love and care for you and want your best. Get support in those that want you to succeed. Woe to him who falls alone, for he has no one to pick him up. But blessed is the one who walks with someone, for when he falls, he will have someone to pick him up. E, escape. Leave the situation. If you cannot work through it, if you cannot go, if you not continue forward without making an ungodly decision, escape the situation. Flee temptation. Yeah. 
don't dally, don't dabble, don't go, I might be able to manage today. I've never done it before, but you know, I'm feeling good. <laughs> Escape the situation. Brace. That is pressing into the wisdom of the Lord. We look at scripture, we line it up. What do I need to do and to be successful in this, Lord? Apply the wisdom. Apply the wisdom God has given. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now, got to have a heap load of context here to just really sink in and make sense. The idea of being a servant in that time is not the dirty word we look at it today. Being a servant, everybody who worked for Isaac would be a servant. That would just be the title you get because you work for Isaac. He's the master of the house. You are a servant in that household. You would have aligned yourself and your entire family to that household. You would now be team Isaac or team whoever you work for. You are now with them. And Isaac is gaining more and more. Their allegiance is to him now, their provider. Their fortunes will rise or fall with Isaac from this point forth as he continues on. And so they want him to be successful. They want him to be good, and they want to continue on with him. Well, as he's gaining more and more, that diminishes every other household that's getting less and less in this region. And remember, there's a famine. Everyone's a starving and he's planting seeds in their land and growing a hundred times what he planted. There's more than enough food, and your kids are starving. This is a powder keg. This is a disaster waiting to happen. I, looked, I took some time to look up. I went on all sorts of rabbit trails this week. We went on rabbit trails about water, went on rabbit trails about starvation, hunger, and these are a couple of things I found. This is from an article called The Phenomenon of Famine. The social consequences of famine are disruption from mass migrations of people in search of food, breakdown of social behavior, abandonment of cooperative effort, loss of personal pride and sense of family ties, and a finally a struggle for individual survival. From The Psychology of Hunger, a study done after World War II where people voluntarily starved themselves so they could actually see how to properly bring people out of that state because after World War II, they had so many people that were in that condition. They wanted to know how to bring them back to proper health. So people voluntarily starved themselves for about a year. The psycho psychological effects were significant as well. Hunger made the men obsessed with food. They would dream and fantasize about food, read and talk about food, and savor the two meals a day they were given. They reported fatigue, irritability, depression, and apathy. Life doesn't matter anymore. Everything is food. And that guy over there has way more than enough. It is a disaster waiting to happen. And so we, right after this, we get this odd little aside. It says, now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And I immediately thought, why? That doesn't make sense. That's a waste of effort. You have a perfectly good well there. Why would you fill it up? And as I thought about it, I thought about human nature. I thought about where they're at and what they have. It's about 
resource control. If you have a well and you already control this well and there isn't anything around, that means you also control the pasture land around this space because if everybody needs this well and you don't let them have it, they're not going to be on your land because they're going to go to another place where they can get the water. But if there's a well a half mile that way, you're going to be competing for the pasture land this whole time. And so they want to make sure that they control the only well, and they only have so many people to do it with. So they stopped up all the other wells so that just theirs were under control. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called the name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehavoth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So if we can throw up that map real quick. Thank you. Gerar is here. And when Jacob was getting too big, and the people were getting really cranky about him being there, and really jealous of all that he had, and he said, you should go. He went, OK. <laughs> went right there. And you're surprised they were contending with him still. And they fought about wells all in this region until he finally came all the way down to about here. And they stopped contending when he got far enough away and he actually listened to good sense. Sometimes we just make bad choices. And we're going to suffer the consequences of that because it was a bad choice. You're getting too big. You need to go away. That means put some distance not go to just like the next plot over. No, you didn't get the message, Isaac. You're, gonna, you're asking for more trouble. Some mistakes, some issues we bring upon ourselves because we didn't apply wisdom to the situation. And then he just started digging up the other wells with the mindset, well, my dad did this. He didn't have any problems. Well, his dad was in a different context. If we go back to the passage where his dad came, there was literally a plague that ensued because he came and lied and interactions with Sarah and Abimelech. Plague upon the land. God spoke to Abimelech in a dream saying, you're a dead man and every one of your household. Shared it with his advisors. Everyone's terrified. You have Abraham, this prophet of the Lord, who is bringing plagues, and God is speaking on his behalf. Everyone's terrified. They let Abraham do whatever he wanted. It's not the same case here. It's not the same situation. Isaac is some guy that they haven't seen in over 80 years, coming in, planting on our land. It's not the same situation. You can't apply what worked for somebody else with an entirely different context on what you're doing. We have to look at where we are at in context to our situation. And water issues have always been an issue in the world. Part of my rabbit hole was thinking about how did they get clean water? What was, what was going on? I'm not sure if you realize, this one's free. Clean water filtration has only been a thing for about 100 years. The first water treatment plant that actually supplied a town in the US was 1908. And it directly affected how much typhoid was being contracted by people, was clean water. 
So a lot of the diseases, a lot of these things are all tied to whether or not the water's clean. So water rights are really important. If you have a good source of water that no disease is coming from, people don't let that go. They'll fight for it. If you are team two California states, that will never happen. I'm sorry. I'm not against your team, but I'm just saying water rights will cause that to never happen. Because if the Northern California ever gets control of the water rights, Southern California disappears. It's a thing. Now, if you do have a right to something, get it in writing. Get a witness. Get something that witnesses this agreement between you and someone else. It's important. It's repeated, actually, over and over again in Scripture. The law itself is a witness between God and his people that they agreed to follow him and what he said. There were so many instances where they set up pillars and stones. This is a witness that we made this agreement this day, so we can point back to this and go, no, 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 we agree. Why is this so very important? Because people lie, people cheat, people steal, and most importantly, people forget. And they grow wiser as they get older. And they might look back and go, I would have never made such a terrible decision as that. And you can pull out the paper and go, but you did. And we're going to abide by what you said. It's important. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. For I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. I read that and I immediately thought, why would Isaac be afraid? It just, it scratched my head. Why would he be afraid? And I thought about the situation. I thought about how old Isaac probably is at this point. He's probably in his 80s. Um, that always helps me with context and where people's mental state is at. He's not a young man. He's not a man in his middle age. He's, he's in his 80s. He's gone through a lot, but he's not himself had to be the one in charge of a lot. This is a whole new thing. He had a lot of wealth, and now he's been forced from place to place to place to place for a while. And there's an old phrase. It's, the army marches on its stomach, meaning all of that wealth isn't in coins, isn't in money. The wealth is in the food you have and the livestock you have and the servants you have. And all of that needs food. And if you can't stop long enough to grow it, you're eating up all your wealth. They need stability. They need a place to stop. They need a place to be able to spread out and settle for a bit, or they're going to eat it up until they're, they're gone. There's a reason to fear. I think about this every time I take out, out of a, a large airport in a big city, and you take off and you see all the homes everywhere, hundreds of thousands of people. And at the basic level, every single person needs a gallon of water a day and two loaves of bread. If you had a gallon of water and two loaves of bread, you'd survive. You wouldn't survive well, but you'd survive. And every single person in that vicinity needs that every single day. How easy a disruption causes chaos and panic and fear. It's a fragile system to realize how very important these things are. It's a, it, for many, it's actually life and death. 
If you take one little cog out of it, it causes huge disruption. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me on my way from you? You just imagine that feeling to kind of translate that. What do you want now? I've left. I've moved away. Why are you here? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a swarm pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good, have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Quick aside, Abimelech and Phicol, they are the exact same names we see in Abraham's encounter over 80 years prior. So there's some contention whether or not these are the same people or whether those are simply governmental titles, kind of like the title Pharaoh. None of the Pharaoh's names are Pharaoh. That's their title, but they're always referred to, and he spoke to Pharaoh. Abimelech literally means my father is king. So there's some conjecture that it's simply a title and these aren't the same people. I contend that they are the same people because the reactions are almost identical to the ones that came before and actually a little bit better as if they had learned from the things before. Can I say that precisely? No, it's my leaning one way or the other. Does it have definitive purpose of this? No. But it's interesting to be able to ask these questions and consider what the Bible is showing us. Yeah. Now, the second part was when he said, You've, we've done nothing but good to you. And I thought, hmm. I had to think about that. I had to think about the situation. I had to think about human nature. I had to think about going on. I think about Abimelech as king over all of these people that are starving. You've got this new guy coming in who's been a deceiver. And what actually has he done? Well, when Jacob lied to them and they found it out, he didn't dispel him. He didn't kick him out. He didn't punish him. He actually protected him. He prevented Jacob and his household from being harmed by the people of the land. For one, to protect Jacob, and for two, to protect the people, because he understands that this is God's man. He's the son of God's man. He's God's man. We don't, we're not going to mess with that. Second thing. When he had such abundance and it's a powder keg, he sent him away. Why? To avoid bloodshed. This is a king. He's, everything he does has to be for the sake of the people. If he's a good king, if he's a bad king, he could have just seized everything that Jacob had. Isaac, thank you. I kept saying Jacob, didn't I? <laughs> he could have seized everything Isaac had and just said, well, it's for the good of the people. The ends justify the means. But he doesn't do that. He sends him away. He sends him away in peace. He sends him away and avoids any sort of conflict. He actually has done nothing but good to him. And now he's coming up in here and saying, hey, let's just not have any issues at all. Let's have a peace treaty between you and us. Don't bring God's wrath upon us. I'll make sure my people don't harass you. He's done nothing but good to him. So now Isaac may be a little surly because he doesn't like how things went down. So we have to ask, will he respond in wisdom or in his frustrations? So he made a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water! He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city to this day is Beersheba. 
Now, it's interesting because this was written a long time ago. And when they say to this day, it's to that day that it's named Beersheba. But what's an amazing coincidence is it's actually to this day that that place is named Beersheba. So I have two photos. I have old Beersheba, which is where they would have actually been and settled, where the well is. And it was just kind of cool to see. And this is what it is now, two miles away. This is Beersheba. And it had something very profound in my mind about the reality that life goes on and things change. We have to be able to relate to the people here, not in old Beersheba. We have to be able to speak to people that are living today in their lives and their busyness and their worries and their concerns. We have to really take to heart when Paul says, I've become all things to all people. We have to relate to where they are. There's a commendation actually given um, when uh, David, is, David becomes king and everyone comes to honor David as king. The sons of Issachar were commended for knowing the times and what Israel should do. If you don't know the times, how will you know what you need to do in those times? We have to be aware. We have to acknowledge that things continue on in the world. We cannot stagnate. It doesn't mean we become like the world, but we must understand where they're at in order to relate with them where they're at. All right, and now we're going to have a really odd ending to this. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. End of the chapter. <laughs> and so, what do you do with that? <laughs> it has nothing to do with the rest of the chapter. Um, and so I looked at it within context to try to give some ideas of what's going on. In order for Esau to be 40, his father is 100 years old. He's 100 years old now. He's the same age that Abraham was when Isaac was born. But in this context, there's an issue now because they've married outside of their tribe. They've married outside of their people group. And throughout Scripture, over and over and over and over again, they're told not to do this because... The people from the other peoples will pull you away from God. The New Testament biblical principle to this is do not be unequally yoked. You must be on the same page. You must be moving forward together. You must be chasing after the same God, same morality, or it will cause issues and conflicts in your life. It's unwise. It was a decision of convenience that he walked into. So what ultimately can we take away from this entire chapter? <clears throat> that the godly decisions will not always make worldly sense. Many godly decisions will have the potential to end your career. to cause conflict, to break relationship. Because a lot of times the godly decision involves us owning up to a mistake we made. Being honest about something we did. Being able to stand up for something in opposition to the way the rest of the world is going. 
and they're going to cause you difficulty and probably strife to make the godly decision. It won't make worldly sense. When everyone at the office says, just don't say anything and just move on, it won't be a big issue. But God says you need to be honest with one another. You need to not bear false witness against one another. Will we make the godly decision or will we make the convenient one? Won't necessarily make worldly sense. But it will be the better decision. It will be the integrous decision. It's a character-defining moment of that original question. Did you choose Jesus? Because in that moment, if you choose anything else, it's not Jesus. We make that choice over and over and over and over again. It's, just, it's as simple as that. Are you going to choose Jesus in this moment? How will your character be defined? won't always make sense, but he will give you strength, the wisdom, the encouragement, and the way to work through it in a godly way. And it will prepare, propel your life forward. And people will look at you as a person of integrity. And they will still honor you and respect you for it. Even people that thought you were crazy, they'll respect that you were honest. They will always believe the things you said. They might have thought, I would never have done that. But when time gets tight and things are difficult and they need honest truth, you're the person they're going to go to. And then your light shines of God coming through you. And it's an opportunity to reach that person and those around you. Proverbs 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Amen.